0: It's a privilege to be here with you. I'm under absolutely no illusions that just because I show up, the people of God are obligated to ask me to speak to them. It's a privilege to get to speak to you and to hope that the Lord will bless in some way. God's given me a natural mind, a natural ability to Take air and throw it over my vocal cords and make words out of it, and and uh, a, a mental capacity to be able to organize thoughts and to and to share them. God, God's given that, but if what I or Brother Danny says today is preaching, it'll have to be more than that. It'll have to be attended by the Holy Spirit of God, and it is my prayer that He would do that. Um, Sister Lydia, I'm counting on you to give me a cupped ear sign if I get too too quiet. So, um, Turn with me, if you would, over to the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. If the Lord uh, would be with me and would be with you. I want to try to look at some things contained in uh, what I'd call a parable. I don't know if the Bible ever refers to the story of the Good Samaritan as a parable, but uh, uh, in my mind, I, I kind of use that as a, a catch-all term for any of the stories that Jesus Christ gave that taught a spiritual lesson. Now, uh, whether I'm applying that uh, too broadly or not, I don't know, but in my mind, it's, it's a parable because it accomplishes that. And whenever we look at the, uh, the parables of Jesus Christ, uh, we, need, we need to be careful, uh, particularly as preachers, because it's it's so easy to get wrapped around the axles of the elements of the parable that sometimes we miss the entirety of the point of the parable. Um, you know, I've uh, I've read and heard of folks going back and forth in regards to the the parable of the sower and you know, child of God or not child of God. And you know, I just kind of well, Christ is talking about how people receive preaching. That's a you know, I can be any one of those when I come to church on a given day. We can get so wrapped up in the elements that we miss the point. I say that in a preamble to tell you that if the Lord would bless me, I want to focus on a particular point here. But first, we need to make sure that we get the message of the parable. So we'll start reading in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? There are pulpits where it might be appropriate to poke at lawyers. Uh, I presume this would not be one. We will keep keep moving on. (laughs) Totally different type of lawyer, though. This is an individual who was well-versed in the Levitical law, in the thou Shalts and the thou shalt nots, and all the ones that they had made up along the way uh, to go along with the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots. And... He's testing Christ. And he says to Christ in verse 26, or in verse 25, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you've heard it said before that there's no such thing as a stupid question. This verse proves you wrong. (laughs) You don't do anything to inherit anything. In fact, if you were to take an action to speed along your inheritance, I'm fairly certain that would disannul uh, your ability to inherit the things that you would have inherited, if you understand uh, what I'm saying. So he asked a question that really was a foolish question. But Christ is willing to expose the man's heart to himself. And I'm going to tell you, our Lord is willing to do that for us, for you and me, his children. It's appropriate for us to go to God and say, Lord, show me myself. Now, i tell you what, sometimes God will give us an ability to see ourselves, and we're not going to like what we see. (laughs) An appropriate prayer to follow then is, Lord, show me yourself, and let me see the beauties of Christ once I've gotten a good hard look at who I am. But Christ, as it were, gives this fellow enough rope. And he says, what is written in the law, how readest thou? And he, answering, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he, Christ, said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. If an individual was perfectly sinless, that would be an accurate statement. In this man's mind, he is that way. But Christ is about to show him the idolatry of his own heart. And it says, but he willing to justify himself. He believed that he was righteous. He had the attitude that the Apostle Paul had uh, before he was born again over there in Philippians chapter 3. When he says, as touching the law, blameless. The law of God hadn't been written on the Apostle Paul's heart. And so this man is wanting to hear Christ say, what he thinks about himself. That's his ultimate goal here, is to hear Christ say you are every bit as good and holy as you think you are. That's what he wants to hear, but something's about to happen because the point of this parable is an exposing of idolatry that exists in the heart of every single one of us, And the obligation to follow the rules of the scripture that says, As thou hast opportunity, do good unto all men. Essentially a a restatement, as it were, of the golden rule. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, his clothing, and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now this would have caught the Jewish lawyer's attention right away in a negative way. Because if there was anybody the Jews hated, it was the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people uh, that had taken the area and populated the area that had once been held by the northern ten tribes, if I remember correctly. And they were, they were kind of neither Jew nor Gentile, but they were a mixture of both of them, of Assyrians and Jews and, and other, uh, other uh, nations that had come into that area. And they had an apostate form of the Jewish religion and their own place to worship that had been set up so that they wouldn't go back to Jerusalem to worship. And in the Jews' mind, they were less than human almost. They were the, the most despised of the despised. And so when Christ then picks out a Samaritan to use as the example, you know it got all over this man It was the last person that he wanted to hear Christ use as a good example, but Christ did nonetheless. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said, "'Take care of him.'" And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? So he asked the man. He said, "Who do you think was the one that acted like a neighbor to the man that fell among thieves?" And you can almost hear the lawyer saying through through his teeth, "Grinding, he that showed mercy on him." And Jesus said unto him, "Go thou." and do likewise the man thought that he was perfectly keeping the law but Christ exposed that first of all he wasn't even keeping the law that said thou shalt have no other gods before me his lineage his Jewishness was to him an idol let me tell you something friends you and I can make idols out of anything You and I can make idols out of uh, who we are as an individual. Listen, you and I can make idols out of the church. You you would think it would be impossible, but we can. Every once in a while, we can become so focused on the bride that we actually forget the bridegroom. It is true. Our human natures can make an idol out of anything. And Christ pointed out to this man that he'd made an idol of his own lineage, made an idol of who he was, and the way he viewed himself was essentially setting himself up above other people and he'd made himself a little demigod. His self-righteousness was exposed because he'd had an idol... And that idol was himself. And this man did not walk away justified. This man walked away disappointed. Because the point of the parable was, there's idolatry in our hearts that has to be dealt with. And it comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And the other point that Christ had taught him was that your neighbor is someone who you see that's in need. It doesn't matter how you might feel about them. Your neighbor is someone you see that's in need. Now, I don't see a a clock, so y'all forgive me. I'm going to use my cell phone as a watch but that's all right. I want to go now to one little expression that's contained in this, and if the Lord would help me look at it in a little more depth. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him... He had compassion on him. Now, often in the stories in the Old Testament, we'll see picture after picture after picture of Jesus Christ. But that's not always the case in the New Testament, or at least it's not always been the case for me to be able to see pictures of Jesus Christ in the parables of Christ. From time to time, brother buddy, but I've I've not seen them as easily as those pictures are in the Old Testament. But right here we have a picture of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, a man who was of mixed lineage. But what do we know about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Now the Samaritan was part this and part that. Jesus Christ is all God and all man. He said, "Brother Adam, explain that to me. I can't." All right, but it's true. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is fully and completely God and he's fully and completely man at the same time. As he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The fact that God sees us, the fact that God's attention is on us is a marvelous truth of the Bible. Also is the fact that he's a man that is full of compassion. The Lord, the Bible says, who in, who is rich in mercy. But look at that middle phrase. Came where he was. I want to tell you, friends, that Jesus Christ has come where we are. First of all, he left the portals of glory. And he came here into this world. He was the object of praise and adoration. Let me tell you something. The, the very first time that first regenerated soul, and I believe it would have been Abel, arrived in heaven, the song would have started For thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Even though in in the chronology of the earth it hadn't happened yet, Abel went to heaven the exact same way that the last heir of promise will go to heaven. And for 4,000 years as the the spirits of God's children ascended into heaven, they adored and worshipped and magnified the holy son of God. But there came a point when he left the beauties and the splendor and the glory of heaven and he came down here into this earth. And when he came here, he didn't come in the splendor that a human king might arrive with. He was um, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He who had been the song of angels and seraphims and the, and the spirits and souls of God's children and Elijah, who would have been, and um, Enoch, who would have been there in their very bodies. All of that was laid aside and he became the song of drunkards. He became a byword. He was insulted because he was willing to come where we are. And the Bible says he didn't take on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the nature of man, of the seed of Abraham. He became like you and me. The Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came where we are. But he didn't just just stop there. The Bible says in being found over in the book of Philippians, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, means he went even further, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen to me, I don't understand this, But I'm going to say it to you anyway, all right? Brother Tim can explain it later. I don't understand how this worked. But the holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, son of God, did not become a sinner, but he was made sin for us. The Bible says in regards to that great Um, that great transaction of redemption that the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. All of our sins, all of our unrighteousness, all of our stains and guilt and shame was laid on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he became a curse for us. Christ didn't just become a curse for us. He became cursed with an ED for us because the Bible says in Galatians, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was willing to come down into the depths of the mire of sin, not once ever becoming a sinner. We need to to make sure we get that point right. He never became a sinner, but all of the iniquity of all of the sins of all of God's people were laid on the person of Jesus Christ in the transaction of redemption. Why? Because He was willing to come where we are. And He was willing to come all the way to the point of being the sin-bearer. And He didn't stop there. Christ went all the way into death in the grave he didn't stay there three days later he arose but he went into death he died and he went into the grave and because of that while death and the, the unknowns that, that we still have in our, in our feeble mindset are, are still at times to, to even the child of God a fearful thing, there is something that is sweeter now that is there. Because the grave is left with the aroma of the perfection of Christ. And we know that he's been there. And the Bible says, quoting Christ, Because I live, ye shall live also. He came where we were. But now let's go a little bit farther. And I want to leave eternal things, leave redemptive things for a moment. And I want to go into the here and now. Because brethren, you and I still serve a God that will come where we are. One of the beautiful things about the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah is the prophetic story of redemption that is found there. Look at the language of it. Turn with me, if you would, over to Isaiah chapter 53. And let's look at this for a moment. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You read through this chapter and you find the prophet Isaiah uh, speaking about what Jesus Christ is going to come into this world and do. And if I remember correctly, it's the same passage that the Ethiopian eunuch is, is asking Philip about saying, Who's Isaiah talking about? when he talks in this passage and when you read that it would be understandable if we looked at this and said well the whole thing has to do with redemption because the pictures that are there are pictures of redemption but one of the amazing things is that God's hidden a little facet of the here and now right in the middle of the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah look at verse 4 surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, in the context of Isaiah, it would be easy for us to look at that and say, well, it's referring to his being our sin-bearer. It's referring to the Lord having laid on him the iniquity of us all. But when we go over into the New Testament, God, in his divine providence and mercy carves out a little place for us to tell us that that particular phrase has left the realm of the redemptive and moved into the realms of our lives right here and right now. Go with me if you would over to Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, I'll start reading in verse 16. I'll I'll start reading verse 14. Matthew chapter 8 verse 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even, the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now listen, that's not talking about heaven and immortal glory. okay? That's talking about real people with real problems. That's talking about real mothers and fathers or real husbands and wives that had a spouse or a child that were possessed with the devil. Or they had a a friend or a, a loved one who were sick with some great illness. It's talking about Christ dealing with them in the realm of the right now world. And then when it says that, it says in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So it tells us that there in Isaiah, in the midst of that beautiful picture of redemption, there's a little nugget there that says he also deals with us in the here and now. Whenever it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, Over and over in Scripture, we find beautiful invitations and we find beautiful commands in Scripture to come to Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. We're told to run to Jesus, we're told to flee to Jesus. We're told that Jesus is our place of refuge. We're told to draw nigh to him and he'll draw nigh unto us. And many times in life, I've been blessed on a personal level to know the reality of that truth. To be able to take one halting, feebling, trembling step towards Christ and see him like a parent does a toddler saying, come on come over a little bit closer, and as I take another step towards Him, He just moved towards me and and wrapped me up and enveloped me in His grace and His love and His mercy. I know that to be true, and I trust you've experienced that in your life as well. It is a tremendous blessing to be able to run to Jesus Christ. But what about when you can't? Because sometimes, Life will hit the child of God so hard that they're laying there in the street broken. The wings that they would have used to fly to Jesus are plucked of all the feathers of grace, it seems, and there's no strength left in them. This man, as he laid there on the road uh, outside of Jericho, the Bible says that he was, um, he, was, he was stripped of his raiment and wounded and, and they departed, leaving him half dead. This man didn't have any strength to go somewhere and ask for help. And every once in a while, you and I can find circumstances in life that hit us completely out of the blue. And there's no strength to go to Jesus. We've been robbed of any of that, any of that strength that we would use to go towards him. We, we've got nothing left to move with. We've been robbed of our joy, robbed of our strength. Our legs are broken, it feels like, and we don't even have anything left inside to be able to take one little step towards Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, you and I still have a Jesus today who will come where we are. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, it says, He raiseth the poor out of the dust and and the beggar from the dunghill. You know how He does that? God doesn't just stand over, as it were, in celestial glory and say, Get up off the dunghill. God comes to the dunghill. And takes a hold of the poor, takes a hold of the broken, takes a hold of the leper, and he picks us up. Because sometimes we can't go to Christ, and Christ comes all the way to us. Didn't that happen the first time that Christ came to us? The Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The very first time that Jesus Christ came to us, he came all the way to where we are. And he grabbed when we were fully dead, if you'll allow me to say it that way. And he caused us to be alive. And still today, child of God, the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory will still walk the dusty roads outside of Jericho. And he'll come to where little children of God are broken, robbed of their strength, robbed of their joy, not feeling like they have anything left to even go to God with. Robbed of their vision. You ever been a time where not only did you not have any strength left to go to God, you you wouldn't know where to find him if you could look because it felt like there was no spiritual vision that was left. You know what happens? He still comes where we are. He still comes all the way to the little child of God who's broken and bleeding, who's been robbed, and He says, I'm here. And He picks them up and He carries them to a place where they can find healing. And I'm going to tell you, I've experienced that too. And from the looks... Of you, some of you have experienced that as well, where you knew you were just broken. You had nothing left. There was no—you you didn't have any strength to go to Christ with. But you found, when you came to yourself, that He had been carrying you for a while, and He had poured in the oil and wine, and He had taken you to a place—perhaps a place spiritually, perhaps a place uh, physically. Or you could go and find help in good little time of healing. Let me tell you something, friends, the God that we serve still comes where we are. And I am thankful to be able to preach that Jesus to you this morning. I love you and I hope that's been of some benefit to you.